Welcome, friends, fans, and colleagues. Uh, this is uh, Karen Tate, and you're listening to Voices of the Sacred Feminine Radio uh, on this uh, special show. And uh, today I am continuing my, uh, my new series, uh, which I kicked off about uh, two weeks ago. Uh, it's a series where I'm going to be offering uh, inspirational messages and meditations. Uh, many of them, but uh, not all of them, uh, come from my book, Goddess Calling. Uh, and uh, the book, Goddess Calling, has a subtitle, uh, Inspirational Messages and Meditations of Sacred Feminine Liberation Theology. Now, that's um, kind of a mouthful, I guess, uh, but that really means um, how goddess values uh, set us free of patriarchy and uh, this dominator and oppressive culture that we live in. So um, each month I am going to be offering uh, a special uh, teaching or inspiration uh, along with a meditation. And uh, in the month of January, uh, to kick things off, there's actually three being offered. Um, one was uh, Escaping the Wasteland, which I believe aired on um, the 2nd of January. Uh, we have today's show, which is uh, Resolutions and Return of the Light, uh, Being Your Authentic Self. And then on the 30th of January, uh, I'm going to be talking about the Egyptian goddess um, Sekhmet, uh, the lion-headed goddess. She's a mother, a healer, a remover of obstacles. Um, so um, I hope you will uh, enjoy this, actually, and I hope, as Alea Deo was singing to open the show, uh, this maybe lends some um, help toward uh, awakening and um, you know, giving some uh, inspiration about how the sacred feminine, uh, how these uh, as, as deity, archetype, and ideal um, how they, you know, that uh, is sort of a roadmap um, to give us for a new direction because I know it's difficult uh, to change things even when things aren't working, even when things uh, potentially cause us suffering. If, um, you know, we don't know where to turn, we don't know what the new game plan is, so to speak. Uh, but I think there's lots of ideas that the sacred feminine offers. Uh, whether you look at her as a goddess, you know, a deity, whether you look at her as an archetype or a role model, uh, or whether you look at um, uh, goddess as values and morals and, um, um, I, I guess, uh, rules to live by, uh, so to speak. So, um, and, and today I have a few little extras uh, to throw in uh, besides the inspiration, um, you know, resolutions and return of the light uh, and in um, the meditation uh, that follows. So uh, I hope you'll get comfortable uh, because you're going to be listening to my voice for, for a bit. Uh, grab a cup of tea, a glass of wine, uh, sit back and uh, just enjoy and absorb, um, you know, take in what feels right. Uh, you're welcome to uh, certainly discard uh, anything that uh, doesn't resonate with you. Uh, but, you know, before we actually get into the, the, uh, the meat, so to speak, of the show, uh, I had something fun that I wanted to share with you, something that just came uh, to me this morning. Uh, it kind of tickled me, and uh, I thought uh, it might be fun for you as well. It's 12 things about mistletoe that uh, I certainly didn't know. And um, I think, well, you know, maybe you don't either. And Christmas wasn't that long ago. Uh, so, it, you know, I feel like it's still winter. It's still, rev you know, relevant. Mistletoe is still growing out there. So uh, this uh, article actually comes from a gentleman by the name of Roger De Silvestro. And um, so here's just a few things about mistletoe that uh, were new to me. You know, all my life I grew up knowing it was the stuff that, uh, you know, you kissed under at Christmas. But uh, that was about the extent of my knowledge about mistletoe. So uh, in season, so to speak, uh, here we go a little bit about mistletoe. So the white berries of mistletoe are poisonous, uh, but they're a valuable food to other species. Uh, mistletoe is used as a symbol of renewal. 
because it stays green all winter. Uh, it's famed for its stolen kisses power. The plant is also important to wildlife, and it may have critical value for humans, too. Extracts from mistletoe, newly used in Europe, um, are being uh, used to combat colon cancer, which is the second greatest cause of cancer death in Europe and the Americas. Uh, it shows signs of being more effective against cancer and less toxic to human than uh, the standard chemotherapy. Um, Here's some more mistletoe facts uh, that you know might give you a new respect for the plant. Uh, and uh, let's see, there are 1,300 mistletoe species uh, in the U.S. and Canada. Uh, there are about uh, 30. Uh, in Hawaii, there's six. Globally, there's more than 20 mistletoe uh, species which are endangered. Uh, and mistletoe is a parasite. Uh, I didn't know that. It grows on the branches of trees and shrubs. Um, the origin of the word uh, of North American oak mistletoe, uh, by far the most common species in the U.S., is sporodendron, which means uh, a tree thief in Greek, tree thief. Uh, Anglo-Saxons noticed that mistletoe grew where birds leave droppings, which is how mistletoe got its name. In Anglo-Saxon, mistle means dung or poop, and tan means twig, hence mistletoe means dung on a twig. <laughs> uh, mistletoe produces white berries, each containing one sticky seed that can attach to birds and mammals for a ride to new growing sites. Uh, the ripe white berries of dwarf mistletoe native to western U.S. and Canada can explode, ejecting seeds at an initial average speed of 60 miles an hour, scattering them as far as 50 feet. When a mistletoe uh, a seed lands on a suitable host, it sends out roots that penetrate the tree and draw on its nutrients and water. Mistletoe can also produce energy through photosynthesis in their green leaves. As they mature, mistletoe grow uh, into thick, round masses of branches and stems until they look like baskets, sometimes called witch's brooms which can reach five feet wide and weigh 50 pounds. Trees infested with mistletoe die early because of the parasitic growth, producing dead trees, but those dead trees are useful to nesting birds and mammals. A mistletoe-infested forest may produce three times more cavity-nesting birds than a forest lacking mistletoe. Uh, a variety of birds' nests uh, directly in witches' brooms, uh, including uh, house wrens, chickadees, morning doves, pygmy nuthatches. Uh, researchers found that 43% of spotted owl nests in one forest were associated with these witches' brooms of mistletoe. And that's 64% of all Cooper's hawks nest in northeastern Oregon were in mistletoe. Several tree squirrel species also nest in these witch brooms. Uh, mistletoe uh, grows in tangled balls uh, and stems that can be up to five feet across. Uh, well, let's see, I think we might have said that. Um, three kinds of butterflies in the United States depend on mistletoe for survival. The great purple hair streak. Uh, the thicket hair streak and the Johnson's hair streak. These butterflies lay eggs on mistletoe and their young eat the leaves. Uh, mistletoe's white berries are toxic, uh, as we said, uh, but are favored uh, during autumn and winter when foods are scarce by mammals ranging from deer and elk to squirrels, chipmunks, and porcupines. Many bird species, such as robins, chickadees, bluebirds, and morning doves, also eat the berries. And finally, for what probably most of us uh, know about uh, mistletoe, the kissing custom, well, that dates to at least the 1500s in Europe. It was practiced in the early U.S. Uh, Washington Irving referred to it in Christmas Eve, from his 1820 collection of essays and stories, the sketchbook of Jeffrey Crayon, Gent. In Irving's day, each time a couple kissed under a mistletoe sprig, they removed one of the white berries. When the berries were all gone, so was the sprig's kissing power. So anyway, I thought that was fun. <clears throat> 
to start off this morning, uh, and it is morning where I, where I am. Uh, it is 11 o'clock in California, and I am looking out my window. We had a dusting of snow last night, um, not too heavy, uh, maybe only an inch or two, and um, I am watching as the sun melts the snow on the tall trees across the street, and um, it's really beautiful to see uh, the sunlight reflect off the snow uh, as it melts because it, it snow turns into water and you get that shimmery glistening. It's really quite wonderful. So, um, as I said um, at the top of the show, um, this is the beginning of this inspirational uh, series, this teaching series that I'm going to do um, in January several times a month, but then moving forward from February through December probably only once unless something interesting comes up that I think I might like to share with you. Um, oh, and as a matter of fact, just a little tidbit. If you uh, heard my uh, Escaping the Wasteland talk on January 2nd, uh, I, I thought it was interesting follow-up that after I was discussing the fact that uh, our lives are out of balance and we spend way too much time working and not enough time uh, doing other things that are equally as important, uh, the Prime Minister of Norway, a woman, a young woman who had just won that position, came out and said that uh, she believed um, we should be working four-day weeks and six-hour days because people's lives were so out of balance. Uh, I know the Scandinavian countries are a role model for us because uh, um, they have so many more laws in place to protect workers. Uh, they have uh, an incredible social safety net so that people don't have to worry about uh, going bankrupt when they're sick or uh, dying in poverty when they're old or how are they going to pay for college. Um, they have they have an, uh, so much better way of taking care of their, their people. And now um, it sounds like they're talking about the very same thing um, that was part of the discussion in Escaping the Wasteland, uh, that, you know, we were not put on this earth uh, to work our lives away and toil. Uh, that was not, um, I think, the intention of our lives. So anyway, that uh, felt like some validation, and I thought I would share it with you in case you hadn't heard that. So uh, moving forward, um, uh, just a little bit uh, to preface uh, why I wrote uh, the book, Goddess Calling, um, which was uh, heartily endorsed by Jean Houston, uh, Barbara Walker, the Budapest. Um, and, um, you know, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that, you know, why I felt the writing these inspirational messages and meditations was um, something that was a value, and um, so it seems appropriate that I share that with you. If uh, I had a guest on the show, I normally ask them what inspired their book, their work, their passion, uh, so I guess I'm sort of doing the same thing myself here, uh, giving you a little bit of preface. So I guess um, you could say uh, one of the reasons uh, was because I, you know, we know uh, in ever-increasing numbers, women and men are seeking spirit, you know, spirituality beyond traditional religious institutions, and more and more their new normal includes uh, uh, the deities, ideals, and archetypes of the sacred feminine. They have a desire to get beyond the patriarchal dogma that often perpetuates sexism, homophobia. Uh, and the domination of Mother Earth and all her inhabitants. Uh, women in particular are hearing and heeding their calling, stepping forth uh, to take on their mantle of le leadership as rabbis, ministers, priestesses, uh, nuns on the bus you might have heard of, or women priests. Uh, they are exercising their spiritual authority in circles at their kitchen tables, in their living rooms and classrooms, in brick-and-mortar churches and temples, and political arenas and groves. Um, you know, we, we shouldn't feel hopeless because women everywhere are flexing their spiritual wings and are allowing themselves to be guided by their uh, intuition, their innate female wisdom and inner knowing, and they encourage their congregations to know and feel the essence of goddess and understand what that new knowledge might mean for themselves personally and for the world. You know, often their sacred message is one of female empowerment, 
social justice and environmental responsibility, uh, sometimes referred to as ecofeminist spirituality. Uh, the liturgy may contain social, cultural, and political messages of liberation theology, using goddess mythology, archetypes, and metaphors as benchmarks and templates uh, for a more just and sustainable future. Um, you know, gone altogether or, or tempered is the message of the strict authoritarian father uh, whose mythology gives license for a male-dominated society with women in subordinate roles. Nothing less than peace, partnership, justice, equality, and care for the planet and each other are at the heart of this sacred feminine wisdom. <clears throat> in answer to this collective call to restore and rewrite our values and find a new spiritual path. Women and men are blazing a trail, using their pink-handled machetes to find their way. It might manifest in progressive churches, using gender-neutral names for God, in prayer and in song. Others include liturgy, embracing the Divine Mother, in equal partnership alongside the Father. Altars might not be dominated only by male images. Still others give themselves permission to conduct women-only services and exhibit only female images of deity at their gatherings. Congregants worship together in circles rather than in hierarchical configurations with a male intermediary between them and deity. In fact, these groups and gatherings might be leaderless, egalitarian, or organizers might share leadership. In case it's not obvious, there is no one way and no absolute right way to facilitate these gatherings or to worship or interpret deity. There are just, you know, these are just some of the new guidelines that are being tried across the globe as spiritual people come forward to see what works for themselves and for their community. Yes, um, there has been a plethora of academic writings restoring knowledge of goddess and women's history that has been swept beneath the rug. Some, myself included, have used this knowledge to occasionally reconstruct or adapt ancient rituals for a modern context. We've gleaned inspiration from inscriptions and ancient knowledge and turned it into the seasonal ritual. Psychologists have explored the significance of goddess archetypes. Theologians have examined why goddess disappeared and patriarchy began to dominate. Some statistics show that when all earth-based or goddess-oriented groups are combined, pagan or non-Abrahamic religions are one of the fastest-growing groups in the country, and books have come out in equal measure to support that growing interest. What has been missing, however, I believe, is an abundance of inspirational writings that pulls all these aforementioned areas of focus together between two covers and puts it into an easy-to-understand and user-friendly book of sacred feminine liberation theology, which I did here with Goddess Calling. And um, because I'm going to be sharing these messages and meditations with you each month, you know, I'm offering these to you uh, as uh, a service, as a gift, and I hope you will enjoy it. Of course, if you want to get the book so that you have these at your fingertips, um, I heartily recommend it. You can get it directly from me or any of the usual places you buy books. Yes, theology, and I'm saying T-H-E-A-L-O-G-Y, not T-H-E-O-L-O-G-Y, the meaning of goddess is deity, archetype, and ideal, and her relationship to humanity, the planet, and the species. This goes beyond the wheel of the year, examining goddess mythology and ideals of the sacred feminine that would reshape values, society, and culture from cradle to grave and in preschool to the voting booth. Goddess ideals actually do provide a template for a more just and sustainable future. And with Goddess Calling, I hope I've managed to directly connect the dots between the great she and liberation from the oppression of our patriarchal world. Uh, Goddess Calling is designed to give individuals or those desiring to serve their communities a springboard to offer what I uh, have sometimes referred to as sermons from the pulpit, uh, you know, a, a you know, a term I, I learned in my early days as a Catholic. And uh, these ideas, um, uh, you know, I hope uh, create a format for a regular gathering or service or just for yourself 
you know, it can be used uh, e uh, either way. And these messages are easy to digest um, and sometimes gently following the seasons of the year and holidays already on most people's calendars. And uh, the messages and meditations use goddess archetypes, ideals, and mythology to provide content for education, inspiration, contemplation, for anyone seeking to incorporate a feminine face of God within their spirituality, no matter their faith. And the messages and meditations have been field tested because I use these in sacred Sunday services for quite a long time. So following in one of the messages within this book uh, titled uh, Trust in the Journey, these uh, collective words of inspiration and guidance accumulated over time uh, as I was called uh, on as an ordained minister to speak about the sacred feminine. Yes, uh, these messages and meditations have already been successfully shared and embraced by congregations and individuals where I've been invited to present papers, guest minister, lead salons or services for conferences, festivals, goddess temples, uh, even at the Academy of uh, American Academy of Religion, Parliament of uh, World Religion, and at Sacred Sundays, which um, we sort of, you know, uh, turned into an interfaith service uh, with goddess uh, at the center. I offered those in Los Angeles with uh, several uh, sister priestesses for several several years, and uh, all these experiences uh, provided the framework for this book that I'm sharing with you, piece by piece, little by little, every month. And um, I hope uh, as you listen uh, that maybe you will enjoy and find uh, personal inspiration, uh, or if... Uh, you know, you get the book, you'll have uh, have it there in your hand, and you'll have ready-made material to facilitate your own uh, community circle. So uh, as we go forward every month, uh, may you find your sacred roar, and may Goddess embrace you in her golden wings. So uh, with that introduction to kind of kick off the year, uh, we'll start with uh, today's topic. Uh, which is uh, resolutions and return of the light. So, um, again, if uh, you haven't already, I would just uh, recommend you uh, get comfortable and uh, sit back. I'm going to take a little bit of water here to just prepare myself. So... Um, you know, this time of the year, uh, we hear a lot about uh, resolutions. And, um, you know, one thing I want to say about that to begin with is um, I think sometimes resolutions send the wrong message. Uh, they say we're not good enough. And um, I want to, uh, you know, put a red line through that and say that's not what this is about, not from my perspective. And I don't think from sacred feminine theology perspective either. You know, this is more about helping us find our authentic self because so often that becomes stifled uh, because of outside pressures, whether that be family, friends, religion, work, whatever it is. Um, so this isn't about you're not good enough and you need these resolutions to make you better. This is about helping you find your authentic self so that you can be joyous and happy and fulfilled and whole. Okay, so when you hear resolutions from now on out, think about that, you know. Um, yeah, think about that. All right, so this is from my Chapter 1 in Goddess Calling, Resolutions and Return of the Light. Welcome, friends, uh, not just uh, to today's uh, uh, sharing, uh, but to the new year and to the new decade. Uh, if you are familiar with goddess or earth-based spirituality, you no doubt know or have been hearing for over a month about the winter solstice and the return of the light. We have heard that our northern European ancestors called the holiday of winter solstice Mother's Night when the female ancestors and goddess were celebrated with, uh, and their guidance sought out by the people. We know it is uh, the time to celebrate the Roman uh, god Saturn as well as Mithras and Jesus. We tell tales of the Yuletide goddesses such as Lucia and Holda and how the Druids celebrated their festival of liberation, a time when the soul was set free to dream a new world. 
the return of the light from winter solstice and winter time forward for a time is not just about whether we see more darkness or light in the sky. The light actually symbolizes the potential for life and for new beginnings. That said, uh, let me share a little story with you uh, with a new perspective on this season. A myth I don't think gets so much play at this time of year. It's about the sun goddess, Amaterasu, a Shinto goddess whose sacred sites are on the island of Japan. Her myth shares similarities to the Greek goddess Demeter and her body and unrestrained counterpart, Baobo. You see, in her sorrow, Amaterasu, like Demeter, withdrew from the world, causing the land to become barren and bleak. In her grief, Amaterasu secluded herself in a cave. No amount of coaxing could get Amaterasu to come out and restore fertility and vegetation to the land. Until, like in the story of Demeter and Balbo, Amaterasu was also coaxed out of hiding and despair by her counterpart in the myth, Uzumi. Legend has it Amaterasu peeked out from the cave, her curiosity aroused by the laughter and clapping inspired by Uzumi's dance. But this wasn't just any dance. You see, like Balbo, Uzumi was lifting her skirt, a nice euphemism for showing her genitals, or yoni. Why, you might ask? Well, on the exoteric level, it might seem funny or lewd to watch someone dance an erotic dance or strip tease, if you will. I can't forget the woman on the stage popping ping pong balls from her yoni in the movie Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, the curious Japanese men holding their mini flashlights hoping to get a glimpse of the yoni of female performers spreading their knees on stage in Japan, two examples there. The yoni then and now holds great power and mystery. These stories of the dances of Baobo and Uzumi are not meant to be lewd. They are, in fact, meant to be sacred. They're from a time when procreation and sexual union were still considered sacred, and sex had not yet become something shameful or taboo. A woman's body held the mysteries of the cycles of life and death. You might recall those sacred statues in museums highlighting the pubic triangle, that part of the woman's body known to be the gateway or threshold of fertility and new life, until Christianity turned what was normal, natural, and sacred on its head. Balbo and Uzumi's yoni dances were the catalyst, jump-starting Demeter and Amaterasu to once again spark new life. Think about the last time you really had a belly laugh. Did you not feel alive and vital? Seeing the dances of their counterparts brought Amaterasu and Demeter such joy that life was rekindled. Vegetation sprang forth once more and humanity could once again eat, sustain itself. People and creatures would live and not starve. In the story of Amaterasu, it is also said that she peeked from the cave to look upon Uzumi's dance. She caught sight of her own image in a bronze mirror, and as she became dazzled by her own radiance, light and fertility were restored to the world. Well, some scholars believe this myth reflects the regener regenerative force. It is the power and awe inspired by the yoni across cultures as a catalyst for creation, change, healing, or protection. Let us remember also that women as life givers were associated with goddess herself, the creatrix of the world, and everything in the universe. Life springs forth from women's bodies and women bleed without dying. This is very powerful magic. Simply put, without the yonis in these stories, without the yonis in our stories, life ceases to exist. Specific to the sun goddess, Amaterasu's story, and in many other spiritual traditions as well, as in science and nature, there is usually no life without light. No life without light. That brings us back to this season of the returning of the light. The days and nights are of equal length with the days continuing to build in length and the nights shortening until the summer solstice in June. 
We too are coming out of the darkness and building momentum and energy or gathering light within ourselves to do things and to manifest our desires in the world. If we are in sync with the cosmic forces, this is the time for our own awakening and transformation and our evolution as people and spiritual beings. Each turning of the wheel at this time of the year enables us to renew ourselves, to be who we always hoped we'd be, and hopefully see things more clearly as we grow in wisdom. We have more juice now to reinvent ourselves, if you will. The light helps us see the world and ourselves more clearly and our role in the cosmic dance. Light shines forth, offering illumination that might give us clues to our destiny and purpose in life. This is the time that we take the ideas and seeds we planted in the dark, fertile ground of winter and nurture them to burst forth in the world. So with all that explained, can you see why this is the time of year when we make resolutions? Can you see how that tradition is based on actual, natural, cosmic, and spiritual law? Let us use this time to fill our vessel with the light that nourishes our potential and fills us with life and with incentive to accomplish positive change, gives us incentive to be and find our authentic self. I would be remiss while we're talking about light motivation to not mention the goddess or Saint Bridget of Ireland. She is both fire goddess and goddess of the healing waters. So think about it for a minute. What do you get when you mix heat and water? The fire of Bridget with the healing waters of Bridget. Steam, yes. And what's steam? Steam is a force that propels you forward. Think, too, of Bridget's steam as a catalyst around this time of year that helps us renew ourselves, transform, and succeed in the resolutions we make. You have the natural energies of the universe working with you in these months leading up to summer solstice to see your resolutions through. Here are a few suggestions to help you accomplish your goals. First, make sure your resolution is reasonable. Don't try to make more than one change at a time. Tie a string to your wrist to act as a trigger to keep you focused on your goal. Have a deadline to accomplish that goal and plan how you're going to accomplish your resolution. Do research, maybe even enlist help if you need it to assure success. Keep a diary of your progress, challenges, and successes, and show gratitude for your accomplishments, no matter how small, even if it's baby steps. So as we go forward, it's also important to remember our thoughts are powerful tools of manifestation. So nurture your attitude and thoughts with love. We must be the change we want to see in the world, cliche as that might sound. We must resolve to live our lives according to how we would like to see society change. So as we look within and outside ourselves, let us be filled with a certainty that the light will shine forth in the coming months, providing transparency, healing, balance, and enlightenment not just to ourselves, but to humanity. Let us ride this roller coaster of a paradigm shift, not white-knuckled and in fear, but resolute to be filled with hope and excitement for the new world we can create together. Now I'm going to take a quick little break here. And when I come back, uh, we're going to uh, move into... At meditation. Um, so what I'm going to share with you now will give you uh, a few minutes, if you haven't already, uh, to get comfortable and uh, get settled so that you can enjoy the meditation. Now, obviously, if you're driving or something like that, um, you know, stop right now and do the meditation later. You can always come back to this uh, show in the archives. But if you're in a safe place where you can um, sit down and close your eyes for a few minutes, uh, please uh, do, get, do get comfortable. And uh, we're going to start the meditation uh, right after Alea Deo finishes her, uh, her song, Awaken. Time to awaken to your call. 
weekend. I hope that gave you a bit of time uh, to get yourself ready uh, for the upcoming meditation. And um, as we move forward this year, I'm going to be sharing a lot of other things that uh, I don't normally have the ability to share with you uh, on a normal show when I have another guest. Uh, For instance, some wonderful music uh, that Lane Redmond, uh, the wonderful Lane Redmond uh, drummer, author, uh, gave to me before she passed. Uh, you can find interviews with her in the archives. Um, there's uh, such incredible music uh, that she uh, she gifted me to use here on the show. I will be sharing that. And um, a number of other um, offerings that uh, there's just not time for uh, when I do a normal interview. So uh, besides the inspirational, medi- you know, the inspirational um messages and teachings and uh, meditations, there will be other, um, you know, wonderful little gifts like that sprinkled uh, throughout these, um, uh, you know, these these special shows that I'm uh, doing with you. So um, the meditation that uh, we're going to do today uh, is Chapter 23 in Goddess Calling, and uh, it's called Tree Goddess. Pruning your divine tree. So uh, please do uh, get comfortable. Uh, close your eyes. Um, if uh, if you can, you know, have your feet flat on the floor. Uh, you might want to, you know, take a, a, a mantra position with your fingers. Um, however works for you. You know, there's no right way uh, to do these things. So uh, here we go. Uh, Take in a few deep breaths, in through the nose, out through the mouth, in through the nose, down deep in the belly, out through the mouth, in through the nose. One more time, in through the nose, out through the mouth. You are sitting cross-legged in a green meadow. You're breathing in the smell of freshly cut grass and breathing out stress and worry. You're breathing in sunshine and cool breezes and breathing out uncertainty and angst. Continue to breathe good things in, things which no longer serve you are exhaled out. In with the good, out with what no longer serves. As you breathe, you send your red cord down through your torso and it begins to penetrate Mother Earth. Breathing it down, 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 it roots you to Gaia. As you breathe in, you breathe in her energy. She fills and renews you. As you breathe out, your cord becomes more deeply embedded in the body of our great Earth Mother. In and out, in and out. You grow stronger with every breath of your sacred connection. Now, keeping your eyes closed, you focus on the movie screen of your third eye. You see yourself seated in this green meadow, but you are surrounded by a circle of trees. The trees are of many different varieties. They have different types of colors of bark on their trunks. Their leaves are different sizes, colors, and shapes. You hear the leaves rustle in the cool breeze. You continue to breathe and watch the trees when suddenly, before your eyes, the trees begin to morph into the shapes of women, different women of different traditions. They are different sizes and shapes. They are dressed differently. 
you see the circle of tree women glow a greenish silver glow that pulses which with each breath you take you feel they are connected to you you and they are one body one breath then suddenly you notice you are no longer seated cross-legged on the green meadow your red cord has morphed into tree roots and you too have become a tree as you're standing there encircled by these tree women you relax into your new form your new reality because you know you are perfectly safe you begin to intuit these tree women are speaking to you you listen closely and focus so you hear what they're telling you you begin to understand they are goddesses of the harvest of the corn of rice and fruit of many varieties of green growing things now you recognize them here in the winter they are the promise of the coming year there is Demeter and Artemis the corn mother Ceres and Pomona rice goddesses of Asia are here too they are all here with many different faces and they may be called by many different names but they are one they are all aspects of the bountiful fruitful earth mother and you are a part of her you are potential the din of their voices subsides into you one voice she tells you to go within to focus on the branches of your tree she tells you that you must take stock you must become aware of what branches need pruning what must you cut away so that the rest may flourish you think a few moments allow allow what no longer serves you you heed her words and begin to focus on your many arms which are branches filled with leaves but then you notice some of the branches are dry and brittle they are withered and no longer serve you what might these branches represent in your life bad habits toxic people fear uncertainty being mean-spirited having a tendency to gossip jealousy eating too much sugar being uncaring callous do these branches represent a lack of gratitude what is it that present prevents your tree from growing to new heights what must you prune to become fuller stronger more rooted what must you prune to become your authentic self to become whole to find joy find your passion take a moment to think about this if you're not sure that's okay you can always come back and repeat this you can always give it more thought but if you found the answers allow 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 these branches that no longer serve to fall to the earth sever them from your healthy branches return them to Gaia so they might become compost and help nourish the soil allow 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 that which no longer serves you to depart and bid farewell sacrifice it to mother earth you understand you are stronger now 
You have freed yourself to flourish. You have freed yourself to begin on the journey toward the new you, the authentic self you've always wished you could be. You stand a bit taller, having pruned the withered branches which offer no nourishment. You take a few moments to revel in your new stature, to feel the breeze blowing through your beautiful branches, your nourishing branches. You hear the rustling of your leaves. What a grand tree you are. Then you hear the goddess Artemis tell you she was once worshipped as a tree, and you see her smile at you. You look up into the sun on the movie screen of your third eye, and its glow casts a bright light over you and the ring of goddesses surrounding you. In a few moments, the glow slowly fades, as does their circle. You realize you are standing alone, once again in the green meadow. You are no longer a tree. You are you, but a stronger, healthier you, more able to go forth and bear many fruit from your metaphorical branches. You know you can come back to this meadow. You can prune your divine tree anytime you must cut away that which no longer serves you. Now slowly come back to our sacred space. Open your eyes when it feels comfortable. Shake your hands. Make circles with your ankles. Take a final deep breath and bask in the glow of your communion with the goddesses of this circle. Okay. Well, I hope that was good for you. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, I want to thank you for being with me today. And I want to invite you back, uh, not just for our regular shows on Wednesday at uh, 11, uh, but also for these uh, special offerings that uh, will be just me and you. And the next time uh, we'll be gathered to do this will be uh, Thursday, the 30th. And um, we'll have a, a wonderful offering about Sekhmet, uh, the lion-headed Egyptian goddess, uh, mother, nurturer, uh, remover of uh, obstacles uh, with a wonderful uh, Sekhmet uh, transformational meditation uh, at the end, as well as some other um, nice little things uh, thrown in. So uh, that about does it now. Um, and um, I hope you've enjoyed this and I hope you will uh, come back uh, later on in the month uh, for these other shows and please do um, uh, tell your friends and uh, remember to uh, click uh, the follow button uh, so that you uh, don't ever miss uh, any of the great shows uh, and in closing today, um, I will leave you with uh, some words from Laura Perry. The Minoans of ancient Crete, an egalitarian society where women were honored, where the sacred feminine was revered, where peace and prosperity reigned for centuries. Hi, I'm Laura Perry, and I'd love to help bring the ancient Minoans to life for you. Explore Minoan spirituality with my books, Labyrinth and Horns, and Ariadne's Thread. Embrace your creative side with the Minoan Coloring Book. And discover the wonders of divination with the Minoan Tarot. You'll find all these at Amazon and other good online and local bookstores. Find out more on my website, lauraperryauthor.com. <laughs>